morning. It's good to see you. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we'll take a moment to thank you for last week. June and I really felt encouraged from y'all's love. And uh, I don't know if y'all noticed, but Dick said some very kind words last week, and then, then I got roasted later. Did y'all notice they didn't give me the microphone after that? But for you three roasters, I have this every week. Every week. And I have these, these opportunities. You will be worked into a message as an example, if you will. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And uh, I want us to look at this text and think about, is the law necessary? It's quite a question, isn't it? Is the law necessary? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. The answer to the question, obviously, is yes, the law is necessary. Law is necessary for order and safety of a people. Uh, one of our founding fathers, John Adams, uh, was diligently working and processing and thinking and writing about the subject of how a people should be governed. And he did not want a single house. Instead, he wanted two houses and another branch, and another branch. And he wanted that accountability. And the reason that he said a single assembly, he said this, a single assembly will never be a steady guardian of the laws. If Machiavelli, I never can pronounce the Machiavellian, Machiavelli is right when he says, Men are never good, but through necessity. On the contrary, when good and evil are left to their choice, they will not fail to throw everything into disorder and confusion. Hunger and poverty make, may make men industrious, but laws only can make them good. For if men were so of themselves, good of themselves, there would be no occasion for laws, but as the case is far otherwise, they are absolutely necessary. you got to have them. Adams was arguing, you've got to have laws. A lawless society is chaos. Laws have a basis. Uh, the laws of our nation... Uh, these guys didn't just kind of make them up out of thin air. They actually were drawn from laws that we see all the time uh, in the Word of God. The founding of our nation was based on the self-evident truths that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And around that, laws are built But not all laws are created 
equal. Take, for instance, Sharia law. It's something that exists in our world today. Sharia law. In Sharia law, theft is punishable by amputation of the hands. By the way, there are places that this is actually carried out in the world today. Criticizing or denying any part of the Quran, that is their scriptures, is punishable by death. A non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from Islam is punishable by death. A woman or girl who has been raped cannot testify in court against her rapist. Testimonies of four male witnesses are required to prove rape of a female. A wife can beat his wife for insubordination. They actually wrote that. These laws have a basis. It's the Quran. It's Muhammad. I want us to see that the basis for the law that we have in our land is really found in the Word of God. I'm sorry, after reading that, I'm triggered a little bit. (laughs) But I want us to see the necessity of law and that law can be derailed by not having a right basis so Jesus said I didn't come up to abolish it it's good it's right it's true I came instead to fulfill it five years ago I bought a tractor I'd never owned a tractor before I had ridden one I had used one but I'd never owned one I bought it it was a Model after 2014, which means they put in some EPA requirements on that thing that make it have to go through a, uh, I think it's called regen, regeneration. And so basically what happens is your RPMs drop down real low. you got to rev it up, keep on going. It'll burn off all that stuff and finally come back in. Well, I read the instructions when that started happening. They were right there and. Uh, I, I went through all the processes. It wouldn't stop. It just kept on regenerating, you know. And I, So I pulled up and I ran into the house real quick. And I got the manual and I started looking at the manual. And I read the instructions. Okay. And I went back out there and I did exactly what it said. Next thing I started hearing is an alarm going off on my tractor, you know. It's kind of like, okay, I finally bought a tractor and now I'm going to blow it up. All right, that's all I could think. And I was doing everything that it said in the instructions. And so finally, I just shut it down and I called the people and they said, well, we'll come out and get it and uh, we, we'll, we'll see what's wrong with it. And they got it and they went through it. And they said, you know, it's, it's in, the, in the manual how to do this. I said, I read the manual. I did exactly what it said. And she pulled up the manual and she looked at the manual and she said, oh, the manual is wrong. She printed off a page of the right instructions. But the original instructions were wrong. 
Can we trust the Word of God? Are the instructions that we have right? According to Jesus, indeed, they are. And I want us to take a look at this today. How should we view the Bible? How should we view the Old Testament? Let's consider how Jesus viewed the Scriptures. And He tells us right here. So to answer these questions and to consider how Jesus viewed the Scriptures and to consider how we view it, I have three things. One, the surrounding context. I want us to take a look at that. Of this passage, 17 through 20, I want us to look on both sides of that passage and consider the context that's going on so that we can get our bearings as to why Jesus is saying what He's saying. Secondly, I want us to capture, if, as best we can, Jesus' thoughts on Scripture. In particular, He is speaking of the Old Testament here. But what He says applies to all of Scripture. And then lastly, I want us to think of our thoughts on Scripture. Our thoughts on Scripture. So uh, let's first look at the surrounding context. In describing characteristics of Christians, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. In other words, all of these things that you are, you will be persecuted for because all that you are is because of me. I have made you what you are. Blessed are you, those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What you are, I have made you. And then he says this. Blessed are you when people persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is about Jesus. It's about him on his account. Our living is about him. The living which we will be persecuted for, the testimony which we will be persecuted for, is about Him. We'll not be persecuted because we're good. We would be persecuted because He is good. He goes on and talks about the influence that those who are His will have in the world. And we understand that Jesus was speaking in clear and authoritative ways. There's testimony of those around him that heard him. No one has spoken this way before. I mean, that's, that's how new and fresh what Jesus was saying was. He didn't speak like the scribes and the Pharisees. It was different. It was authoritative. There's a sense in the people around him and the people that were hearing that something new is rising up. A new way, a new preaching, a new teaching, a new 
law. They looked for a revolutionary Messiah who would come and tear down and then rebuild. Destroy what once was and put something new in its place. Sure, the people were thinking, man, he's going to wipe everything out. He's going to take it all away. This is great. I mean, this guy, he, he speaks like no one has spoken before. He's going to establish something new. No, he's not. I set that up so that we could see why he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to tear something down. I came to make clear what God has already spoken and fulfill what is. So I I want us to see that part of it. And then get on the other side of verse 20 and verse 21. And Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said of the, of, to, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you. You see, Jesus is taking the law. He's not making new law. He is illuminating what already exists and making people see, oh. And so there's something about what he's saying after this as he goes through the commandments. We did this not long ago when we were in the Ten Commandments as he goes through the commandments where he's not not saying, it's okay to murder. No, he's not saying that. He's kind of like saying, but murder's not the only problem. One of the problems is, is that you hate your brother. And that's what leads you to murder. He's not coming to destroy old laws and write new ones. He's illuminating what God has already spoken in the Old Testament very clearly. So I wanted us to catch the surrounding context there of what's going on. He's, he's uh, speaking of a kingdom people and the characteristics of that kingdom people and the influence of that kingdom people. And he's not going to meet the expectations of many of that day who anticipated a rebellious revolution from Messiah. But instead, Jesus is making it very clear. I'm not taking this away. So let's look now at Jesus' thoughts on the scriptures. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's not going anywhere. The law is here. 
Certainly we understand there are certain elements of the law uh, that are, uh, are not in practice like the ceremonial law. We don't, uh, we don't sacrifice to idols. We don't uh, kill goats and haul them in here and things like that. Y'all ever think of the priest's job? How messy that job was? I mean, that dude was covered from head to toe. We don't do those things anymore. Why? Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 7, 8, 9. Read, read Hebrews 7, 8, 9. All a picture pointing from uh, the, the tabernacle, from all its furnishings, from all the, uh, all the curtains and all the things, all those things pointing to Jesus. He fulfilled them. And so I, I need us to, to look and to see what he's talking about. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I know that's what you want me to do. You're tired of these Pharisees putting loads on your back that they're not willing to carry. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. First of all, he says, I have come. I have come. The focus is on Jesus. This text is about him. why he came all of the life of a Christian is about Jesus if we live anybody alive here today yeah okay saw some heads pop up you thought I was talking to you if we live we live because of Jesus every breath is a mercy from God you don't deserve the next breath. It's a gift. And so as we look, if we live, we live because of Jesus. If we suffer, we suffer because of Jesus. I just wanted that to sink in for a moment. Don't hear that a lot. But he said, if you suffer for my sake, you're blessed. There's a sense in which in our suffering and our losses every day, those losses, those pains, those heartaches could turn us away from him in a heartbeat. But instead what happens? We turn to him and we turn to the word of God and we turn to the living God and we cling to him and we love him. And our suffering is about Him. It's because of Him. Therefore, He is glorified. If the world stops spinning... We won't know it for long, number one. But I can tell you it stops spinning because he stops upholding it with his power. It's about him. 
He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come for that. Law and prophets. Well, let me just break that down for a moment. Law, that's the Torah or the Pentateuch. That's the five. By the way, I use those words. I mean, people used to say all the time, you know, we've got to stop using these churchy words. No, don't stop using the churchy words. We need to know what these things are. We need them defined. We need an educated church. We need kids growing up knowing the Word of God. So Torah same, means the same thing as Pentateuch. Five books. Okay? Penta, you hear it in there. Pentateuch, five books. It's the five books of the law. So this was a common phrase, by the way. Law and prophets. When you think about it, uh, it kind of is pretty obvious. The prophets, okay, we have all the major prophets and the minor prophets. We also had prophecy in the, the Psalms. Uh, we, we, we have the whole bulk of the New Testament being seen here. Jesus is specifically talking about the Old Testament. I think I just said New Testament. You knew what I meant, okay? Old Testament. Law and prophets, Old Testament. It's another phrase for uh, the Old Testament. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. So let's take a moment with that word, okay? To abolish, to tear down, to destroy. Kataluo uh, is the Greek word. And I want you to know that Greek word uh, basically means to tear down, to dismantle, to destroy. I didn't come to do that. I know you kind of hoped that's what I was going to do, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I want to do is I want you to stand on these truths of the living God. You know what it said about Jesus, right? He was sinless. On the basis of what? The law. The law. He never sinned. I didn't come to abolish this. How would you know I'm sinless if I abolish the law? I didn't come to destroy it. I didn't come to, let me use a word that gets used today, deconstruct it. I didn't come for that. Then he says, why did I come? To fulfill them. I came to fulfill them. I came to make sure that all is accomplished. I came to fulfill the law. I came to do what you can't do. You can't live these things out. I will. To fulfill, we can understand this in a couple of different ways in a narrow sense to fulfill is to do what scripture teaches okay 
in a narrow sense. In other words, Jesus came to fulfill them in living them out and doing these things and doing these things perfectly. In a broader sense, uh, to fulfill is to bring a plan to completion. I'm going to fulfill what the Scripture says about me. I'm going to fulfill what the Scripture says about God's plan. I'm going to fulfill the Scriptures. So, in a broad sense, we have that going on. That He came to fulfill. As a matter of fact, look with me, if you will, at verse 18. He says, For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Until it's all done. Until it's made new. Until everything is renewed and restored. He said, I didn't come to abolish. I came to fulfill the scriptures. And then here he says, and he points to this. And he gives an illustration of it. For I say truly, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I did pretty good in Bible college until my last class. Y'all know what my last class was? Hebrew. I'm thankful for the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. But I do know this. Iota is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. If you want to draw one, just draw a little apostrophe like that. Iota. Little bitty thing. Little bitty letter. It could get mixed up with some other marks that are made in Hebrew. Got to be careful. It's, it's one of those letters that is just, you remember it. And it helps us to understand some of our own phrases. I don't give one iota. Anybody ever said that? I don't give one iota. And you didn't know you were speaking Hebrew. I don't care that much is what you're saying when you say that. Jesus said not one of the smallest letters will pass from the law. He said not a dot. Not a dot. This is actually a marking that helps us. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew letter calf looks like a backward C. I know it looked like a forward. I'll do it this way. 
looks like a backward C. But if you take, once you complete that on the bottom, and if you'll take and you'll draw a line back to where a little bitty tail sticks off the back of that backward C, you now have the Hebrew letter bait. That little bitty tail sticking off the back of the backward C. That is a dot in the Hebrew. That's what that is. Jesus is saying, you can't change the law. It is the law. And nothing's going to pass away. It stands because all of it has value. All of it, behind it, are principles that still are upheld to this day. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. You know, there are some theologians today, some preachers today, that say we don't need the Old Testament. There are some denominations, uh, some uh, traditions of faith, that won't even use the Old Testament. They carry New Testaments. I'm kind of like, how do you understand all the New Testament without that Old Testament? This has some things in Hebrew you've got to go back to. Don't let them lie to you. They've got them an Old Testament at home. They just don't let nobody see it. They've got to have it. There are people who say uh, things like, you know what, we need to let go of the Old Testament, the old things. Hold just to this. No! Jesus disagrees. He disagrees wholeheartedly right here. He said, none of it's going away. Still here. So Jesus, in terms of his view of Scripture, is letting us know and helping us to understand that what we have here is a precious treasure that is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and it is Fully sufficient for our understanding of the faith. According to Jesus' own affirmation. None of it's going away. Including the Old Testament. Still there. Now, once it's all accomplished, we don't need this anymore. We'll be in heaven, right? We'll be with Him forever. The Word of God will be in our sight. Hope will be realized, right? The Word of God stands forever. He says, it's not passing away until all is accomplished. For those who think that things just happen and just la-di-da, fade or whatever. Look at what it says right there. 
until all is accomplished. So you're telling me there's a plan? Yes, indeed, there is. And it is Scripture that lays out that plan for us and helps us to see the beauty of God's redemptive plan and His plan for His great glory ultimately and completely. Secondly, I want us to see our thoughts. What, what should our thoughts, how should we think about Scripture? It says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Let me read verse 24. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. He brought a word in there that's important for us to realize and to understand. That Jesus' view of Scripture and His view of the law has to do with the righteousness of those who follow Him. I mean, here in the context, in, context, in the text, He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. That was legalistic. That was... If I do this, God will be pleased. If I do this, God will give me eternal life. If I do this, we all know that eternal life is not based on what we do, but what Christ has done for us. And so he points out whoever relaxes, uh, that word is luo, by the way. Whoever relaxes one of these. Whoever, instead of kataluo, abolish, luo, relaxes, destroys, takes away. Be least in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying, there's a necessity for the law to be uh, in our face. To remind us of our sinfulness. To help us to see the necessity of righteousness through Christ. And to know what does it mean to live in righteousness. What does it mean to live in righteousness? How would I know except the word of God tell me? You know, there are some people who say, maybe you've heard this. Y'all know some of these Christians. I'm a Jesus Christian. Or, well, I'm a Bible Christian. If you're not both, you're neither. Okay? Can I help you all understand that? If you're not both, you're neither. There's no such thing as I'm just a Jesus Christian. Certainly, it's through Jesus Christ that we become Christians. But some people will say, well, my faith is just I want to do the things that Jesus did. Well, see, that's why Jesus did the things that he did, because you can't do the things that he did. You see, something about the Word of God is that the only way I can know who Jesus is is right here. The Bible. 
And the only way that Jesus makes sense to anyone is the word of God. You can't know Jesus apart from the Bible. And if I read and study the Bible, you know what it's going to tell me about? Jesus. Jesus didn't come to abolish or relax the scriptures. And neither should we. Neither should we. We should uphold them and we should teach them and we should make known the truth of the word of God. Some like some things Jesus said, but not everything. You know, I like that he said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But that paying taxes thing? That turn the other cheek stuff? I'm not so crazy about that thought. You see, uh, some people like some things Jesus said, but not every. Or have you heard this one? I like the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was mean. Y'all see all the things he did. I want you to know something. That the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament the same God. I want you to understand that all the things that Jesus said are right and true and good. And let me tell you something about the whole Word of God. It was inspired by God, breathed by Him. The Holy Spirit, men wrote. As they were moved along like a current. And we have the word of God as a result. We don't relax the law. We don't relax the word of God. Eh, don't worry about that. Over the last couple of years, we've seen the results of laws being relaxed in the forms of riots that cost billions of dollars. And today, we see in many places, smash and grab, looting, robberies, things like that. What's happened? Hey, let's step back. Let's relax the law. Law of the land here going on. Let me tell you what happens when you relax the word of God in the body of Christ and the church. You cease to be the body of Christ and the church. You cease to uphold 
the truth of the Word of God. You cease to be the pillar and buttress of truth. Oh, we've got to stand on this. Jesus is teaching beautiful things here. He said, I didn't come tear things down. I came to make things clear and to fulfill all that has been spoken. So important for us to grasp this thinking. He said, I I didn't come to abolish. I came to fulfill. He said, don't relax it. Teach it as it is. If you relax it, people will do the lesser things and forget the heavy things. They'll do the easy, but they won't do the hard. Matthew 23, 23 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are those? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Let's stop for a second. Tithing is seen as a what? Lesser matter. What's the weighty matter? Justice and mercy. And I lost my place and I can't remember. And faithfulness. There it is. I know we really don't like measuring out sin, but Jesus just did it. He says, you tithe dill and mint and cumin. How do I remember that and not the other? Okay. Food. (laughs) Who said that? You're getting there. All right. So he's kind of like, what you should have done is you should have done these without neglecting these. Okay, so here's what I want to make sure you didn't hear me say. Brother Rick said tithing ain't no big deal. (laughs) I didn't say that. Jesus said these are the lesser things. These are the weightier things. You should have done these without neglecting these. See? Okay? You don't pick and choose which ones you obey. He's calling for obedience to the whole of Scripture. Jesus wants our righteousness. Listen to what he said. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hey, guys, it's a Sabbath. You can't pick up anything heavier than a fig. Jesus wants your righteousness to be bigger than that. And so going to the Old Testament that Jesus loved so much and came to fulfill, uh, where it is written in Jeremiah 31, 33, for this is the covenant I will make 
with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's these people, they're in front of Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to them these words. And they're anticipating him tearing things down and building something new. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I'm going to do. But what I want from you is I want a righteousness that's real. Jeremiah actually talked about it back here. And he says, I will put, the Lord speaks, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's the righteousness he calls us to. The righteousness in here. The newness. I'll put my law in your heart. I'm writing it on there. You ever want to know what the right thing to do? It's in you. By the Spirit of God. And it's in front of you. By the Word of God. Don't neglect the Word of God. We are to have these thoughts on Scripture that we love and embrace the Word of God, that it's pure and it's good and it revives the soul. Lay down a couple of things in closing. Just applying this with two things. We lay nothing aside because nothing aside in Scripture because of Jesus. In other words, we don't say of numbers, you know, I don't need to read that. I'm going to lay that aside. We don't need numbers or Leviticus or Deuteronomy or any of these things. No, because of Jesus, we don't lay anything aside. We don't lay aside Exodus where it's described of building the tabernacle. Okay? We don't lay that aside because Jesus has come. But what we do is we view everything in Scripture, old and new, in light of Jesus Christ. So when I look back at Exodus and I see the tabernacle, guess what? I'm sitting here and I'm reading this and then I look at Hebrew and what, what, what will we find? We find Jesus is being described in the building of the tabernacle. Everything is in light of Him. Everything we do, every word we read, how we interpret, it's in light of Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you, know the Word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, embrace it. my encouragement to you is then live the word of God let's pray to God Father we want to thank you Lord for the truth of your word I want to thank you Lord that Jesus laid out such a testimony as to what he believes concerning the word of God Father I pray Lord that you would help us Lord to seek to do the things 
that make for righteousness. To repent of our own laziness. To repent of our own neglect of your word and your ways. And Lord, to run with all we have to your word, that we would know your word and live your word. Father, we thank you for the truths we find here. And pray, God, that you would empower us and enable us to walk and live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.